Am I really going to quibble that the Jazz were ranked fourth in best assets? Yep, I am. It's next. Plus, Ben Anderson rejoins for the interview series on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked On Jazz. On today, the great Eric Pincus, one of the best cap guys out there, ranks the best assets of all teams in the NBA, and the Jazz come up fourth behind the Spurs, the Thunder, and the Knicks. And I quibble with this. I quibble with this. I also think it's a super interesting question on what you have to pay to win as you look at the other side of this equation and the two teams that actually come out the best in all of this. One of them relates to the Utah Jazz. Then we'll also look at how the Jazz are going to use Kelly Olenek this year as he continues to be fabulous for Canada in FIBA play. And Ben Anderson joins us for day two of the interview series. We'll talk about our bigs. We talked a lot about the wings and the front court in day one with Ben Anderson. So that's coming up on today's show as well. As I mentioned, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz. It's your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen, and thank you to the everydayers out there who tune in each and every day. We are free. We're available on all podcasting apps. We are up on YouTube at Locked on Jazz. Five-star reviews, subscribe, follow. Much, much appreciated uh, by everyone, and I want to give a shout-out today as I looked at the reviews um, last night and give a, a little a thank you. Uh, to some, we've had some some recent five-star reviews on the old iTunes thing um, and wanted to uh, just uh, give, a, give a thank you, if I may. Um, I really enjoy listening to David's unique take and look at the jazz. The geeky numbers make it all the better, especially in a day where statistics and analytics are such a vital part of sports. Keep up the great work. And that came in from E. Bardsley. Thank you very much. I appreciate that from E. Bardsley. And the week prior, uh, from somebody who's gave a bunch of initials that didn't seem like anything other than just tapping the keyboard really, really fast. David, simply the best. I look forward to the insight and expertise every day. He obviously is well-prepared and has incredible depth and knowledge. Well done. So thank you. Appreciate those uh, reviews uh, very much. And to Buddy Boy 121 who said his dad introduced him to the podcast. I'm glad it can be a family affair. So five-star reviews, comments, all appreciated. Thank you very much uh, for that. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Eric Pincus, who's great. He's one of the best cap guys out there, writes for Bleach Report. And he looked at the Jazz draft assets and then ranked them in the NBA. Oklahoma City came up one, Spurs came up two, Knicks came up three, and the Jazz came up four. And if you read it, there were two reasons why the Jazz didn't come, I think, any higher than four. And who really cares if we're fourth? Oklahoma City is loaded with picks. Oklahoma City has their 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30, has all their picks, and has the Raptors 24 protected. Has the Jazz 24 protected, 1 through 10, could be a huge win for them there. They have the Heat and the 76ers 25 picks protected. They have the 26 pick of the Rockets. They have the 27 and 29 picks of the Nuggets. Like It's just ridiculous how many picks they have. 
So they're unquestionably have the have the number one pick. And and really because of the fact that they have the Derek Favors pick for us. The Spurs have 24, 25, 27, and 29. So, and then they have pick swaps on their 26 and 28. And they have the Hawks 24 pick. Um, the Raptors 24 pick protected or the Hornets 24 and Raptors pick protected. And they have the Hawks pick 25 and 27 for DeJounte Murray. And then the Knicks have just a bunch of protected picks and they got Eric really, really valued second round picks. And it's an interesting thing to me because Eric really knows what he's talking about. And second round picks have been kind of moved to these like six and seven second round picks. And to me, second round picks aren't worth much of anything because very few second round picks ever become players. So I, I think very little of second round picks. In fact, when I look at your draft assets, I don't even look at second round picks. They're they're nice. They can throw into deals. They let people kind of win a press conference. They're not really real. And when so when I look at the Jazz draft assets and I say, okay, well, our big problem is 2024. Like we have no picks this year. Our pick is top 10 protected from Oklahoma City. There is some argument we can't trade our own first round pick until we get this pick unencumbered and get it off our books, which is, so this, this is our blemish on our otherwise perfectly looked at screen. Is this the trade in which we had to get rid of Derek Favors contract and Oklahoma city just get, has this top 10 protected this year, top 10 protected in top 10, in 2025, top eight protected in 2026. And then if it, if we don't, if we're never better than eight, if, 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 if all three of those goes, then it becomes second round pick. But that means we have to be in the bottom 10 for another three seasons. It sure doesn't seem like that's anyone's intention. Now it might happen, but it doesn't seem to be anyone's intention. And, and until we cannot trade our own pick, I think until 2028, maybe 2027, depending on, on, on the way one of the rules work reads. So that's like in 2027, it makes a lot of sense for us to trade our pick. We have Cleveland's 2027. We have the Lakers top four protected and we have the Knicks and we have the, the Wolves pick. We don't actually want four of the picks by in 2027, but that's our one blemish. Otherwise our draft asset line is actually better, way better than the Spurs. The Hornets 24 and Raptors 24 protected the Hawks 25 and 27. We've got, Minnesota, three Minnesota picks still, Cleveland three picks, and one Laker pick. That's seven first-round picks compared to the five that the Spurs have. I, I don't care about second-round picks. And we have two pick swaps, and they have two pick swaps. So I, I just don't see – I actually think the Jazz have the second best. And the Knicks isn't even close. Knicks have like 80 million second-round picks. I just could care less. So maybe I'm biased on this, but I certainly see the Jazz having the second-best set of assets out there. I do think – Oklahoma City set is better, and Oklahoma City set is better because they have our pick. That's that's what really picks puts them over the top. And they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine other people's first round picks. Some of which are protected. We'll see how they all play out. Ours are also very lightly protected. Right? So when it's the picks we're getting from the Lakers, it's top four protected. If it's Minnesota, it's only one top five protected. Otherwise. Like something goes wrong in Cleveland in 2025, 2026, 2027, or 2028, or 2029, we get it. Like if Cleveland has, they shouldn't, they're really good. They have Evan Mobley, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, but who knows? We get it. If something goes wrong in Minnesota, 
like Anthony Edwards leaves in 2025, 2026, 2027, 2020. We get the pick in 2029. It's just if we don't get it, if it's top five. So I disagree. All right. I think one of the really interesting things for the Jazz this year is how they're going to use Kelly Olenek. And Ben and I will talk about it a little bit, but if you watch, I'm going to bring it up with Ben. And, and I, I don't really love Summer League. I think you guys are aware of that. Um, I think it's wonderfully great fun. Great, great wait, let me rephrase it. I love summer league. It's super fun. It's great to get the Jones back. I don't like take summer league performances and say, oh, this tells me how a player's gonna play in the NBA. What I do take out of summer league is how coaches are gonna coach in the NBA. And if you watch summer league, particularly in Salt Lake this year and a little bit in Vegas, almost everyone's running big in the high post variations of what Denver's doing with Jokic. Now, no one's Jokic. I talking to Scott Rogers, our great award-winning graphics guy, and he's like, can Kelly Olenek be a Walmart Nikola Jokic? And I think the answer is yes. I do think Kelly Olenek can be a Walmart Nikola Jokic. And it's it, I think actually without a point guard, I think you're going to see a lot of teams are playing without a point guard with bigs that can play. Like Boston doesn't really have a point guard. Derek White maybe. You're going to see, I think, Al Horford playing with a lot of that handle. Um, there's a there's – a, I don't know how – um, I don't think Phoenix does it with Devin Booker. I think they actually just play, they just have so many isolation players. I think they just play that way. Um, So I, I think there's a bunch of, I think we're going to see a bunch of teams with these bigs that are going to allow kind of the ball movement out of the high post with a big. And I think we're going to see the Jazz do that. And Kelly's doing some of it in FIBA right now. And Kelly's great at it. Like Kelly's really, really great at this. And what is gets interesting about this is it makes Kelly even more integral to what the Jazz are doing if this is a part of their offense. One signature of Will Hardy last year was the willingness to play a multitude of different systems, both offensively and defensively, which a lot of coaches don't like to do. A lot of coaches like to be consistent for 48 minutes. But Kelly's an elite, elite level passer. Like in when he has played a lot, he's averaging four or five assists, six assists, out of never five, but you, you out of that post position. And if you actually go back and look at from the kind of when we joked about point Olenek, right? I tell the funny story about we're in Toronto and we've made the trades, and Kelly's like point guard. And if you go look at Kelly in those final games last year, in 24 games last year, he averages five assists a game to close the year. He's pretty great, by the way. Final 30 games of the year, Kelly Olenek averages 14 points, eight rebounds, five assists a game. Shoots 52% from the field and 39% from three. This guy really can evolve his game into whatever his team needs. He's doing it for Canada right now, and he is vital. And the other thing on Kelly is plus minus is just good every single night. So I think as we kind of have built these rosters and built these lineups and looked at these things, I think Kelly is going to be a bigger player in some of this than we think, and it might also mean that Kelly starts, right? I mean, we've all decided that John Collins is starting for Kelly. I don't know. It, ben Anderson had an interesting conversation about Jordan Clarkson the other day. And, uh, you know, both of us just assume he is starting. I've heard a lot of people think he's he's not. So uh, interested in your thoughts on that on YouTube as well. Uh, ben Anderson joins us coming up here. Get your thoughts on how Kelly and and, and John Collins uh, work in that. Maybe, maybe just Kelly's comes in almost immediately. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch. Chevy located in Woods Cross, also in Logan, the Chevy family. 
of trucks. There's the Colorado and the Silverado. And frankly, there's just nothing better. It's Chevy. It's Americana. It's everything uh, that we've known over the years. And then you get that you have the Murdochs, 80 plus years in Utah, giving you the no regrets experience each and every time. And that's what makes the Murdochs so great uh, is to make sure that you part of our community, good people. I was actually, uh, my wife was, we were in Seattle for two days and my wife was uh, talking to someone about, we kind of went by an old place where I had a car deal and we were touching time on what great people the Murdochs are um, and just how, you know, how fabulous it is to be involved uh, and endorsing a company who, you know, is doing good things. We had a great experience last week down there. I was talking to their new sales guy, uh, trying to think about whether I might buy the Ionic six. I passed again. I think I'll break down at some point, but not yet. Um, that was over at the Murdoch Hyundai. So head over to Murdoch Chevy. If you're going to stop by, please give me an email at dlock09 at gmail.com so I can take care of you and get you the VIP experience. Today's show is also brought to you by Intercap Lendings. Talk about customer service. That's our guy, Steve Carter. Intercap Lending has been in Utah since 2016 when Josh Romney moved them back into Utah. They are hyper-responsive. They embrace change. They've taken advantage of the borrower experience. And I saw a little note that mortgages have been submitted or back up on the rise. So if you're in trying to navigate this interest rate world, Steve Carter is your guy. Give him a call, 385-885-28. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit Intercap Lending. Tip of the hat to Intercap. They also do a bunch of great community things over the years. Brock Worthen and Intercap has done amazing, amazing things with backpack campaigns and the rest coming in around school, uh, the start of school. They're just such a great member of our community uh, as well. So tip of the hat there. Intercap Lending, uh, visit them at intercaplending.com or give me an email at dlock09 at gmail.com so that we can get you in touch with Steve Carter and get you locked on every day or VIP experience and make sure Steve takes care of you over at Intercap Lending. Day two with Ben Anderson. Covers KS, jazz for kslsports.com. Does a great job with that. Covers the jazz as well as everybody else with Jake every day on the KSL Sports Zone. So super to have him aboard. Great jazz coverage. One of the many. Uh, thanks to Tony Jones and Sarah Todd who joined us earlier. Thorough Bailey next week. For you, Tim Lacombe. Jazz pre-halftime post-game radio will join us a week after that. And then I think get awfully close to training camp right around there. Um, and uh, tip of the hat to the jazz and the Clippers for their upcoming event uh, supporting Maui. That's going to be a wonderful uh, event. All right. I uh, love Seth Partnow's tears. I don't know if you get into that, the athletic, like it's a basketball junkies, wow. like dream come true. I did like 17 shows on it. I think um, I find the two most intriguing are kind of like the right below superstardom top 11 into the top 11. I find the top 11 really boring. I know who they are. And then I find the, like what he called the tier three, like who's breaking through. So who's Devin Booker of last year. Right. Uh, to me, there's four guys this year that could kind of break through um, LaMelo Ball, Lowry Markinen, Anthony Edwards. He had Don at tier three. I, I I thought Don was about as good as he could be last year. Like that was an all NBA first team season. So I'm not sure what else he's supposed to do. So I think that's kind of unfair to have Don there. Um, what is your thought if Lowry has that next step in him to be go from 20-ish to 15-ish to 10-ish? Uh Passing is going to be a big part of it. And I think you've seen some of that in FIBA that's been a little promising, but he's also had the ball in his hand so much that he's going to rack up assists just because he has the ball and he has to pass at some point. Uh, if that will improve, that will be there. Uh, I think honestly, just having a little bit better defensive reputation, because I already think he's actually a much better defensive player and his numbers at the rim were actually pretty incredible. 
so if he does that and then, you know, can space that out a little bit more, uh, I think that's going to continue to help him. But, man, it's continuing to take the right shots. I mean, it's he was so good offensively last year. It's almost hard to say, like, what, what are you willing to give up to get more out of? Like, are you going to give up some of the efficiency to get a little bit more out of him? Can he do both? Can he just keep rising at both and be that, you know, three-level scorer that just is, you know, arguably the most efficient in the game outside of Nikola Jokic, who's the best player on the planet. It's just, it's pretty unique what he's able to do. And I don't think he's that far off from being one of those top 11, 15 guys. And sometimes it might just be wins. It might just be about winning. So I would put two things in that. One is isolation play first half of the season when I think he was very selective of when he won ISO was unbelievable. And second half, he was actually like, 87th out of 90 of players in isolation. So to me, that's the will started just giving him a ball at 17 feet and saying, go score. And that's hard. Like that's really, really hard. And maybe that's passing too. Um, That's to me kind of the next step in there of like, and then his clutch numbers were really pretty good. So it's hard to kind of dig into that. I have, I didn't ever break down his clutch numbers by season and, you know, obviously having, we go back to where you and I started having Mike Conley early in the season, made sure you got the ball in better spots in the second half of the season, you had to just go get the shot yourself. Um, but I think some of that, like some of that being able to go get the shot yourself stuff, I think would be what I would ask for. I don't think I'm actually willing to give anything else up. Um, I would like all the other stuff to go with that. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen the, we've seen the highest of highs, which I'm a big believer in. I need to see that you can get 40. I need to see that you can get 48 against terrible teams and he can do it. He can do it. I, I believe that, you know, your ceiling at your brightest spots will show itself if you're the real deal. And he has shown it. And then that consistency. But, I mean, how many stretches last year was he averaging 30 points a game for a long stretch? I mean, very unique, unique numbers. I think he's that good. You know, one thing I – one of my biggest, like, memories from a media standpoint last year was the show I did with you and Jake um, where we, like, ran back through Lowry's career. And, like, we're like, hey, this actually – like, there were flashes of this – a multitude of times. And so what's interesting to me is like, now that he's done what he's done and you see the flashes, that makes sense. There is this actually logical next step. It's not like when I hear people saying like, Oh, is John Collins going to do it? Lowry Markinen did. And I understand the wishful thinking, but that to me feels like wishful thinking. This actually feels like a reasonable, logical conversation that, okay, wait a sec, Lowry was developing. He got stymied by being in Chicago and screwed. He got traded to Cleveland. Utah then let him tap back into all the things he showed some signs of. Well, then he actually, he's still on an upward trajectory and there should be another step or two. That This feels like a very reasonable idea to me that Lowry Markkinen could make the Devin Booker jump next and be thought of as a top 15 player in the NBA next year. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a, you know, a theory in the NBA. I don't have as many as you do, I don't think, but... Uh, that, it, you know, when I see a rookie, I want to see a rookie who actually plays accidentally breakthrough because I don't think a lot of rookies know what they're doing, but accidentally over 82 games or 70 games one night, you should be able to do what you're going to do really well in the NBA just on accident. Oh, I like yeah. that. Walker Kessler did it his first night. So it was like, okay, this kid's going to be great. This kid's going right. to be just fine. Uh, and then, you know what? Ochai had a couple of them and I would have been a lot lower on Ochai had we not seen Chicago. Like there was a game in Houston that we we saw enough nights where it was like, okay, I, I totally get it. I totally get where that kid heads. Lowry, to your point, has done it every stop of the way and has done it for longer stretches, which makes me believe that, yes, it's real and, yes, it's going to continue. That was one of my big questions this offseason, and then nothing he'd done internationally 
uh, says it's going to slow down at all. That's a good point. All right, so let's go to Kelly Olynyk, who might be like my most like point Kelly. It might be one of my most favorite players to watch. It's not surprising me that like if you look back at Kelly's career, he just kind of continually is positive in the plus minus. Um, how do you use Kelly Olynyk on this roster? I think Kelly Olynyk might be on the floor at the nine minute mark of every game. I don't think he starts, and that does buck a little bit of our trend of yesterday talking about Jordan Clarkson starting 61 games then going back to the bench. That will happen with Kelly Olynyk, and he's just going to have to deal with that. He's going to go back to the bench this year. But I think he might be on the floor eight minutes, nine minutes, uh, and the meaning three minutes into the first quarter, and getting a lot of opportunities to play in place of, you know, John Collins subs out, and then John Collins comes back in in place of Lowry Markinen or Walker Kessler. And then you pair those two together in the backcourt. But I think he's super critical, and I think he's going to get a ton of minutes. And, his again, his floor spacing, his passing, his understanding of how to win games or at least how to play the game is going to be really crucial, especially if you are playing any of the rookies, because he, he will be really beneficial to either Taylor Hendricks or Keontae George. So I want everyone to realize this about Kelly. Like, he's got – he doesn't rebound great, whatever. Like, he – the guy's been in the league now for what eleven years? I think this will be year. This will be his eleventh, yeah. Eleventh year. He, he, in all but two years of his entire career, his team has been better when he's on the floor than off the floor. And those are some good teams. No, I. You know, we could look back and say the Jazz didn't get equal value for Boyan Bogdanovich. If you think that's the case, because Boyan's a pretty special player. Uh, Boyan is playing on a Detroit team that wants to trade him and couldn't, and. I find a playoff team that can't use Kelly Olynyk for 10 minutes a night in the postseason. Right. No. I mean, he can play on every playoff team, I think, for 10 minutes a night. And those guys are extraordinarily valuable. And if we want to have a conversation about Howard Isley at some point, we can. But <laughs> having right. guys you can play in the playoffs off the bench for 10 minutes are actually pretty valuable. Hopefully you're following it at kslsports.com. Uh, ben has uh, compiled the top 50 in honor of the 50th season. Ben's compiled the top 50 players of all time in jazz. Um, for those who uh, want to understand, Howard Isley was rated 43rd. Rodney Hood and Ricky Ruby, who actually started games, were 50 and 49. And even Bobby Hansen, who's 48 and started a lot of games. Like, I, I love Howard Isley. He's actually one of my favorite people to see around the league. The dude had the easiest gig in the name, in the history of the NBA. The only job easier in sports was Peyton Manning's backup because you actually just never played. Howard Isley somehow has gone into the annals of jazz history as some like hero. Uh, is Jim Les like 36th on this list? Is Scotty Roth? Up? No, okay, sorry. Um, I love Howard, but he's... The, the he's seven, from right player, right time, for sure. Yeah, these seven players ranked behind Howard on the top 50 list are all should be ahead of him. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's a good list. Go check it out at kslsports.com um, with, with Ben Anderson. Um, you gave your theory, which I love. That's super good. I, I'm, I will steal that. I will call it the Ben Anderson theory. I'll give you credit. I'm not. I'm at a point in my career where I can do that. I'm no longer as insecure as I once was. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I will share with you my single theory of the value of summer league because there's only one to me that okay. exists out there and it's not player development. When we come back with more with Ben Anderson here on locked on jazz today on our off season interview series. Today's show is brought to you in part by FanDuel special deal going on right now. A lot of fun stuff at FanDuel. So let me tell you about what we have for you with FanDuel. The NFL season is here. So here's the deal. 
New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets. Uh, the math on that's good, everybody. If you haven't figured that out, that's a that's an odds you like. That's guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Information that would have been better for me before I bought that. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can get everything you need from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL, the official sportsbook of LockedOn. So go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Also, NBA odds over-unders, all those things are up on FanDuel as well. Oh, I keep adding Ben Anderson back to the stream, but not switching the graphics so then he doesn't show up. So I actually think the only value of Summer League, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but other than marketing, is watching what people run. And every team in the league ran a post-offense as though they had Nikola Jokic in the Summer League this year. Almost every single one. So I'm wondering if we're going to do the same thing with Kelly Olenek. Right? Like... Kelly Olenek's skill set is, he's not Nikola Jokic, but a lot of his skill set is actually, you know, he's not the, you know, this guy's Larry Bird passing MVP. But like, I I could see us have an entire offense that runs through Kelly Olenek at the high mid post. I actually thought that was a guy that maybe the Nuggets would uh, go after last Mm. year at the trade deadline because Mm. you could have not, you know, he's not not a seamless transition from Jokic to to Kelly Olenek, but he's pretty darn good. Thomas Bryant didn't work out for them? Yeah, right. Exactly. So I thought as they were looking for a backup big man, it was pretty obvious they needed one. Maybe they didn't, you know, Jeff Green seemed to do okay in their run through the finals, but I thought that was a name I was going to keep an eye on for them. Um, So you mentioned it earlier that Lowry Markkinen's uh, rim defensive numbers are great. Um, Is there any reason he should be the backup center? I hadn't thought about it. Yes, right. there is. Yes, there is. Because That's... there's a guy named John Collins on the roster. Right. So my, my backup center line, my backup lineup is Lowry, John Collins, Abaji, Keontae George, Colin Sexton. The floor's wide open. That's some sort of a second unit. And Colin and Keontae can just come or Talon can just come downhill because it's five out. Yeah, I I think I think John Collins is your backup center. Uh, again, we talked about the the value of Kelly Olenek and his ability to play both positions in the front court is super valuable, I think. Uh, but yeah, you can bring him in and he can play alongside Lowry. He can play alongside John Collins. My only question is, can John Collins and uh, Walker Kessler play together? That will be a big question mark. If they can, that's a huge plus because then you have, you know, however many minutes a night, 96 or whatever, uh, between all your four front court big men or where you want to play uh, Lowry if you want to move him down to three and give him some minutes at the four occasionally. You can be really good. I mean, that, that could be a playoff team rotation. It's an interesting um, question on, on a bunch of these things, um, on how they all interplay and how they work and, and, and what they do and how we play, right? Like, I feel like Will had his choice. He switched five. He wants to play like a switching five defense and a five-out offense, and they, we have Walker, and so you're not going to do that because Walker's great at what he does. And so – you know, one thing we did last year I thought was interesting is we played like half the game, drop big, pick and roll heavy kind of, and then the other at, or, or pin down with Lowry. And then the other half of the game, not totally 50, 50, we, we would play five switching five, five switch five out and play a totally different style. And, and that's interesting to me. Like, I don't know. 
there aren't a lot of teams that try to switch their styles in the middle of games that dramatically. Um, that's a tribute to Will that he's trying to do it. And it, it's interesting if that's something that will make us better because it has a versatility of the way we play. Do you drop it all with John Collins? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so. But then can he stick with the guys? You know, that those are the questions. I, I honestly, like, I've watched John Collins. I listened to the Locked on Hawks podcast after the trade, and they praised how much better he was defensively than his reputation. He's probably the third best defensive player on the team last year, and they were really pretty high on him. And I just haven't watched enough. And, you know, they were playing with a guy with Clint Capella, who who is going to stylistically change what you do. And, by the way, some of the worst defensive or maybe the worst defensive guard in the, in the NBA. I mean, the, all those things hurt. So how does that change once he gets to a, a team that, that cuts a little slack for him? I talked to a coach in the NBA about John Collins. I thought he was really interesting. He said he's the ultimate tweener. And so you just got to figure out how you're going to use him. And his point a little bit was Atlanta didn't have much flexibility. And his point was, like, if you look at him offensively, he's a great pick-and-roll Roll, roll run. He's an incredible athlete. He gets over the rim. He's an awesome rim finisher. He he really can play five offensively. He you can slip him on some picks. You can if you switch him to a little guard, he can actually take advantage of him in the post. There's so many things he does well there. He's really, but he says, hey, offensively, he's probably best at a five because when you play him at a four and he spots up shooting, he's not shooting great. And they said defensively, he's just not big enough to play the five. And so he's just caught in between. He's an offensive four and he's a defensive five, and he's a pretty good defensive four. And he's a pretty good offensive five. And so maybe with this, like, I ha- you know, with this Kelly Olenek who kind of plays all these things and Lowry who plays all these things, Will's going to be able to find a way to use John Collins in a manner that you're actually accentuating all of his positives each time he's on the floor. I, I don't I don't know entirely how you do that, but it, Will has done a good job of tapping into guys' superpowers. And so it's like, what position, how do you work these guys? Do you play Olenek, Collins, marketing together? Do you play Kessler, Olenek marketing like we did last year? Do you play Kessler uh, Collins marketing like uh, Kessler marketing was really good together and you play speed around that? Like it's super interesting to me on how they try to materialize this and how they use those rotations. I agree. And again, I think I would go back to, you know, you start John Collins at the four, he comes out early for Kelly Olenek. And then when Kessler comes off the floor, John Collins comes back in. And then I think you do have your ability to switch those guys around. And then you just got to figure out what you're doing at the three. But I, 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 that's that would be my best guess. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think you can get the minutes for everybody. But that just it, w- when I try and work it out in my head, that's just where I land every single time. Well, you know, you go back to something Quinn did with Rudy and Conley was what he started playing them in three stints in a half. So they would come out at the five or six minute mark. They would circle back at the end of the first quarter and play against second tier groupings from about the two minute mark of the first quarter to about this eight minute, seven minute mark. And then they would come back for the final four minutes. Right. So they're three stints and a half is what the, is what that means rather than, you know, like your best players often play 12 and then six, they play all 12 of the first minute. And then they play six minutes to close the set. That's two stints. It comes out to 36 minutes. Um, I do think that if you're going to start John Collins, he's a three stint player. And, and I a hundred percent agree with you that like, let's find a way to get John Collins minutes against backups. Cause from a big picture standpoint, you made the comment that that's a playoff rotation. The scenario I have where I think the jazz make the playoffs or have a really successful season is that they're throttling people as substitution start that they can stay close enough at the start. But then as the game rolls on, they just start to kind of beat up on people and they have all these groupings that they can kind of find the right matchup on the right night. And then they're probably holding on for dear life in the final five minutes when the other team's final five is maybe better than our final five. 
But 48 minutes of solid play is going right. to win you a lot of games. Either, I mean, the Suns can't give you 48 minutes of solid play. No. Not in every position. And they're really good. Denver, I'm not sure, can give you. I mean, is Reggie Jackson any good? I don't know. Probably not. But can you can he give you can you get forty eight minutes of solid play out of that rotation? I I don't know. The Jazz can uh, basically at every position. You're you're getting into one of my theories. Let's hear it. Two hundred forty. Yes. Yeah. First thing I check on every team at the beginning of the year is do they have two hundred and forty minutes played? Yeah. Like that's that's the question. Denver has the best starting five in the NBA, but when Concar and Huff and Holiday, not named Drew, and Reggie Jackson are in your rotation projected, uh, that's probably not 240 anymore. Hey, can I derail this really quickly? Yeah. I've got a question for you. All right. I like it. What's the gap between Jokic and the second best player in the NBA, and how does that compare to the gaps in previous years of the best player to the second best player in the league? Too good a question for me to answer today. I'll have to chew on it and answer it to start the next day with Ben Anderson. How's that? Give me a second to chew on it. We will answer that question as we open up day three with Ben Anderson tomorrow or on Friday on Locked On Jazz. Ben Anderson, catch him at KSL Sports. Catch him at Ben Hoops. Catch him with Jake. That's a brilliant question. My brain's churning. I'm thinking Magic and Larry were really close. Michael and Carl were kind of close for a while. Giannis is the second best player in the league. Woo! Comment in the comment section of YouTube. We'll answer that question when we come back talk the league as well as more jazz items on our final day with Ben Anderson. He is over at kslsports.com and KSL Sports Zone. I'm David Locke. Thanks to the everydayers for being a part of it. Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen.